things are hard and seeking medical help for mental health is hard. If you're 15 or under, you can see a pediatric psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. um, but to see an adult one at the hospital, you have to be 17 or older. So 16-year-old Katie was fucked. And I was actually told that if I wanted to see a psychiatrist, I should come back in an ambulance to my suicidal 16-year-old face. And then I did. You're listening to This Polyamorous Life, collecting stories of the struggles and triumphs of non-monogamous people wherever I find them. I'm Reg. This week, you'll hear a conversation I had with Kate. Katie is a newer face at our local polyamory socials. She describes herself as a bubblegum princess. I initially wanted to talk with her about what it's like starting out in the polyamory world, uh, but it quickly became clear that while she may be new to polyamory, she's in no way a novice in dealing with emotional processing. She's had her fair share of mental health issues, and she's not afraid to talk about it. That's what's coming up. Take a listen. My name is Katie, um, and I think I would, I think I aspire to, like, kitchen table polyamory. Okay. Period. All right, cool. Um, yeah. Cool. What, is, what does kitchen table polyamory mean, like, for you? For me? Yeah. It means, like, everyone <laughs> would be comfortable <laughs> sitting, like, around a kitchen table with one another. Like, you're involved-ish, or at least aware and, like, comfortable with the people and the cool yeah, in the cule. In the cule, the polycule. The polycule. And would be okay sharing a kitchen table. What led you to identify with or as polyamorous or with polyamory? Good question. I was thinking about it. <laughs> you knew that question would come. I knew. I knew it would come. And I still don't really have a great answer. Um, when I entered into the local BDSM scene... Mm-hmm. There was a lot of overlap. There were a lot of people in that scene that also were polyamorous. And that was kind of my first, I think, introduction to it, even as a concept. Um, because besides that, it had only been monogamy and cheating. Or, like, <laughs> yeah. being single. And those were the three states of being. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I, I went to a poly slosh. Mm -hmm. And I was like, these people are not insane. They're not, like, awful people, because that was also a perception I kind of had. Okay. But they're just normal people trying to live their lives. Well, uh, you had a perception that they weren't going to be the nicest of people or something like that? Yeah, I think I thought it seemed, from my very heavily monogamous background, uh -huh. like an easy way to dismiss accountability, ironically. <laughs> um and to have a lot of extra sex. That was what it was. It was like, I want to fuck multiple people. Yeah. And I want to not have any, like, commitment or responsibility. That was very much the perception. I think it was more, I came from a concept of it being more like an open relationship style as opposed to, like, the potential for actual relationships. Yeah. So how did you end up in the BDSM scene? Um, I think I discovered it online like when I was like 12 or 11, <laughs> like far too young um, and very heavily identified with it. Um, I waited till I was 18 to go to an event. Actually, I was 19, I think, when I worked up the courage to go. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just something I'd known about for a long time. I think I knew before I was 11 or 12. I just finally had a word for it. Uh-huh. 
And then I was like, hey, there are other people locally to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so you found uh, Windsor BDSM online. And... On, yeah, FetLife. Cool. Yeah. That it's a sense. bunny! Sorry. Yeah, there's a bunny it's over a there. It's a baby bunny. Yeah. It's so small. After getting over the bunny sighting, uh, I asked Katie some more questions about the BDSM scene. What was it like going to your first uh, BDSM? Like, you went to the Munch? Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, it was terrifying um, because I went alone. I didn't know anybody. And it was the anniversary Munch. I think it was the 10-year anniversary Munch. Okay. So there was, like... 80 90 people on an event that's normally max like 30 35 um which was all and i because i'd never gone to an event i didn't realize again that they were like nice just normal people living their lives i was kind of convinced i would come out like either traumatized or physically harmed <laughs> despite it being at a local italian family restaurant but there's a person in the local bdsm community <laughs> kind of saw the the deer in headlights eyes uh -huh. and kind of like swooped in and took pity on me and made like introduced me to people made sure I was not having a panic attack in the corner mm -hmm. which was really nice they were actually also the person that dragged me to the poly slosh yeah was that moose yeah okay cool moose. so so he dragged you to the poly slosh what was that like okay he didn't drag me but he well, made no, me yeah. very aware of its existence uh-huh and that one I don't really remember that much about okay. it was it was smaller and it was really noisy and I just remember it was really noisy. It, yeah. I really like the venue it's at now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I only went to one or two before I moved. Yeah. I was very non-committal to them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, why'd you move? Uh, to live with my ex-partner who lived in London. Okay. Wasn't your ex-partner at the time? No, he was <laughs> my current partner at the time. It was a good experience and I'm glad... I had it. I prefer the Windsor communities. Mm -hmm. um, I love people in the London communities, but there's something very cozy and homey about the events here, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> You're so I, proud. I, I Well, I mean, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, thank you for liking the events that we run. Yeah. But, yeah. but also, uh, yeah, I mean, there's also, it's homey because it's your home. It's well, another, it's another yeah. thing to I it. I mean, my home was also in London. Yeah. But... I don't know. Windsor's... Mm -hmm. I didn't think I would miss Windsor as much as I did. Oh, okay. So, why'd you move back? Like, I mean, you missed Windsor, but, like, obviously things fell apart because he's your ex now. Yes. Or was it really just Windsor's magnetism was... No. Um, <laughs> I broke up with him and was like, hey, I'm going to go live with my parents again. Mm -hmm. Bye. <laughs> okay. It was, more, it was more respectfully done, and it was very amicable, despite things it was not a mutual decision to end the relationship no but was it yours or his? it was my decision okay. but it was very amicable it was very okay i still support you i understand do Aww. what you need to do yeah which was nice so then i moved back okay that's that okay cool um but that was a monogamous relationship if that matters it doesn't well, really. Well, I mean, does it? Well, Maybe it kind of does. You're the one telling the story. Does it matter? I, I definitely was interested in the idea of Polly. Like, not a little towards the end. And I don't think it was... I thought maybe this would fix it, because it definitely, in hindsight, wouldn't have. It would have made it... It would just have exacerbated the problems that were there. Yeah. Um, but I think I really started looking into the idea more. 
then and mm-hmm. was like, but that would be nice. <laughs> I like that idea. And yeah. I don't think I was, I would have been ready to do poly at that point. I think I was too, way too jealous of a person too, and too insecure of a person too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought I like to think I'm less jealous and less insecure now. Okay. Okay. And how did you get there? Like, what has changed? I mean, it was kind of uphill from, well, no, there was room for downhill. I've been worse than I was in London. I was not in a great spot with my mental health in London at all. I was was very isolated socially, and I was having a lot of dissociative episodes, like, constantly. They had to give me an MRI because they're like, oh, do you have a tumor? You should be able to not forget you're in a conversation when you're in a conversation. Or what day it is. Yeah. Being back in a community was really helpful just having like getting out of the house mm-hmm. I found the events especially were really great just because like I'm going and being around people for at least one day a week normally mm-hmm. and I had access to therapy here again which I didn't in London um, which was great and I got a psych eval actually I started it right when I still lived in London mm-hmm. Um, that continued when I moved to Windsor that was wonderful and I'd been looking for for years to clarify a messy bundle of diagnoses from teenagerdom. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know, it was just good. <laughs> There's a lot of things here where it's like, can we, is it okay if we get into yeah, more specifics? With So tell me a story about your like mental health. Like where does it begin? <laughs> oh, so, introduction. Um, when I was nine, ten or so, my sister became an emotionally abusive alcoholic. She's significantly older than I am. When she was a kid, Katie dealt with kidnapping threats, screaming matches, her alcoholic sister disappearing and showing up at the hospital. She developed an eating disorder around age 12. Um, Finding proper diagnoses and proper prescriptions to help took years. When she was 16, she ran into a problem with healthcare bureaucracy. Things are hard and seeking medical help for mental health is hard. Um, in Windsor, actually, it sucked um, because there's programs, if you're 15 or under, you can see a pediatric uh, psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see an adult one at the hospital, you have to be 17 or older. So 16-year-old Katie was fucked um, and could not, and I was actually told by an emergency room nurse, because I'd been having hallucinations and my mom had to take me to the ER, um, that if I wanted to see a psychiatrist, I should come back in an ambulance to my suicidal 16-year-old face. And then I did. So that was fun. She does say that things have gotten better. It's significantly better than it was when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And it's better than it was in London. Yeah. Um, I have an actual set of diagnoses now which is really helpful i think i accumulated like nine throughout the course (laughs) of um my my interjection with the system as a teenager Uh uh-huh so that was the psychologist in toronto which was a lot of hours in the car and in the room um but i was like hey please clarify so i can go to a therapist and be like this is what I have. Mm-hmm. Fix it. Which is not how therapy works. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. But I had no clue what I had other than my kind of own opinions, which are not so it's, medical. So it's stuck with the, these, 
you've got these nine different diagnoses still or no i have four now <laughs> okay so well can, can uh, i list my official ones i believe that is your decision to I, make but uh, i would encourage you to cool um i have borderline personality disorder agoraphobia Oh my god, what's the one? <laughs> Post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. And episodic depression, which is in partial remission, which has a very fancy DSM code. Borderline personality disorder. What does that mean to you? Um, oh boy. That one that one's probably, I think, now the one that affects daily life the most. Okay. Um the I mean all the main symptoms are very in your face, but for me, um, like sense of se- sense of self is really bad. Um, splitting or like idealization of a person versus devaluation of a person is really bad. Fear of abandonment is upsetting and it's very intensive moods. Okay, okay. There's a lot of jargon in there. Sorry. The fear of abandonment, I think I know what that means. It means you're afraid of abandonment. Like, okay. that, that one I get. <laughs> I With think. borderline personal- personality yeah. disorder, the way I describe it, is none of the symptoms are just like are not human everybody has the symptoms it's when they become disordered yeah that it's the disorder yeah like everyone no one likes abandonment no one's like hey i want to find someone to abandon me today yeah yeah like everyone can be impulsive at some time yeah yeah i get i get this idea i I have add and you know when when people are yeah when, 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 you know, when people are like, oh, I get like that sometimes. I'm like, no, no, you... You don't, though. You, you do, but you don't. You do. Like, you, you know, but you don't really understand how much, like, how much the, uh, you know... Intensity? The intensity of I need to keep playing this video game or whatever it is. 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 Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I get that idea. Yes. And I mean, I think when people say that, I think it's a very human response to try and relate, like, things to your own experiences. I think it's that people are trying to be compassionate, and I appreciate that aspect to it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, but. if you if you experienced it, well, not actually, I shouldn't say you'd have a diagnosis because yeah, it's it's a really heavily stigmatized disorder, and getting any psychiatric diagnosis is a bitch sometimes. Yeah, yeah, but, or any diagnosis. But if you but if you experienced it, then you'd have it. Yeah, is yeah, what you'd you're have it. You, you'd have it. Yeah, you might not have a, a diagnosis, but but I'm also at least partially for self-diagnosis. I had an inkling about it before I was professionally diagnosed, Mm -hmm. especially throughout the interview process. Mm -hmm. I heard some of the questions that kind of reminded me of the DSM and I'm like (laughs) researching because I'm me. And I'm like, oh, I think that is what she's asking about. And holy shit, that sounds like me. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about um, sense of self and stuff like that. Like, I think that's one of those things where for people without borderline personality disorder, I I mean, I say think, I don't have borderline personality (laughs) disorder. And when you talk about sense of self, I just go, I I have a sense of self, I guess. If you say, hey, describe yourself, who are you as a person? I feel like very few people have an answer to that, especially immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like, I actually do a lot of the time, especially when my BPD is really bad, because I will absorb, I want to say like a 
a very big section of like like a religion or like a sexual identity or I don't know veganism and for like a week or two make my entire life around that thing and then change and be like eh, I don't like this anymore so it's so it's kind of like an inconsistency it's a very big inconsistency like a shifting sense of self or self-identity um, I thought I was a lesbian for like a year I think um, I'm not I'm questioningly bisexual I, I hesitate to use the term bisexuality only because I have very little experience with women so I, I just I don't want to be that straight girl that's like oh I'm bi and then like goes to have sex with a girl and is like lol just kidding because I don't know from experience so I know I'm very attracted to women and I want to cuddle them and think they're really pretty and I want to hold their hand well but it's very much it I think it sounds like you might be bi but yeah <laughs> but it's very much the nerves or the lack of knowledge and confidence is very similar to the lack of knowledge and confidence I had with sexual things with men before mm -hmm. I did sexual things with men. So that's <laughs> kind of comforting, I think, because cool. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, no, like I've especially I think for me, religion was always a big one. OK, I had a very heavily Christian stint. I looked into like Taoism for a bit, mm -hmm. um, Judaism for a bit, just very across the board like it's like you're seeking out something to build an identity around mm -hmm. and then you don't feel better when you do that so you have to discard it and try and find something else ah uh, yeah yeah because I, I was gonna say like this up until that and you don't feel better thing there's i think there's a, a number of people who might have that story of like i was seeking and then i found yeah but you awesome. never find like one of the things is like this chronic feeling of emptiness mm-hmm um, which I think for me goes hand in hand ish with dissociative stuff. Okay. Dis uh, so, okay. I have not taken any psychology courses ever. So explain, <laughs> explain the jargon. Yeah. You, okay. just, you just lived it. <laughs> yeah. And I've done lots of research to try and find words for things. So disassociative. Yes. So I started before I had the jargon. I called it being blurry. Okay. Um, th there's two subsets. Okay, there's three versions, I want to say. There's dissociating for people with, like, dissociative identity disorder, which is different, I, I think. My understanding of it is different. Mm -hmm. And then there's depersonalization and derealization, which can go together, but not always. Depersonalization is very much like you don't feel real. And it's unsettling it's like i can look at my hands during like an episode and not recognize them as my hands or i i might think they're my hands but i'm not real or i'm not in my body and it's very it's, it's i don't know how to it's like that you're sounds you. really concerning it's like you're you but to the left a couple inches okay and derealization is your environment instead of you you might feel real but you might feel like you're in a simulation or that your eyes can't focus. You know in movies when they'll do like camera tricks to yeah. like and do vertigo things? I have that if it's really bad. And it's like everyone around you is not real. Which makes interacting very hard. It's kind of like there's this like foot or so of... Okay, you know in like I'm in a movie. When like a character, there's a portal and they'll kind of stick their hand in and there's like that little 
inch of like jello almost. <laughs> okay. But it's just wiggly air. It's sure. like you're trying to interact with the world through that. And that's why I called it blurry because it was like there was this haze. Okay. Is, is it now you say haze, is it an actual like is there a visual sort of hallucinating thing to that or is it Sometimes I wouldn't go so far as to say it's hallucinatory. It's Sorry, More that, like, uh, that's probably the wrong word. No, I know what you mean, though. It's like your eyes can't focus or, like, something might be, like, a foot away from you, but you can't judge visually that distance. Mm-hmm. You might think it's, like, three feet away from you or right next to you. And you can see it, but your mind doesn't connect that distance. Okay. I think everyone kind of experiences it a little differently, but it's also for me. Like, I can go nonverbal. Which makes it even scarier because I can't explain what's going on. And it's normally very obvious, mm-hmm. especially if I'm like fully out yeah. because they're like, hey, what's wrong? And mm-hmm. I can't answer. That's dissociation for me, at least. That's my singular experience. There are also like dissociative things from PTSD. Okay. Which is more, again, it's like derealization where it's like you don't think anything's real, but there can be the flashback version where mm-hmm. it's like you think everything is something else mm-hmm. that is real or was real, mm-hmm. but is not. And that's also dissociative, but different. How do the people that you're either in a relationship or living with um, feel slash deal <laughs> with with you with honestly <laughs> that's the good way to put it um i think largely and i'd say okay mine is splitting which is a different jargon yeah yeah um, yeah splitting we need to get, get back, like i was like oh there was one other thing but yeah okay well pin but in. pin in that minus that symptom i think as far as mentally ill people go i like to think i'm pretty easy to manage If only because I have a very good understanding of when something is a symptom and I have, I try to have words for it. Words to describe experiences are very important to me. So Mm. I can explain to the other person as best I can kind of either what to expect or how, what to do. And I feel like once you know me as a person, I am very predictable. I'm a creature of habit. I have very easy to expect responses to things. So, like, I think within a couple months of, not even, like, a month of living with my old partner, he could tell immediately if I was dissociated. Just by sheer difference, I think, in how I am. Um, And it's gotten, again, easier, I think, since the diagnoses and since learning, like, oh, that's a this thing? Okay, I can, like like splitting I didn't know I was splitting when I was splitting before but now I can kind of it takes a lot of energy and effort but I can kind of keep it more in check or communicate to the other person that this is happening and if they can help how mm-hmm. which is really nice that's good so so what is splitting splitting um, I generally use it in like one direction so you can okay there's more jargon So idealization is like putting somebody on a pedestal. Sure. Exceptionally disordered. But you think this person is perfect. They have no flaws. Uh They're wonderful. They're everything. Right. 
devaluation is the opposite. You hate this person. They've never done anything right. You do, don't want them in your life at all. You're angry at them. You're resentful. You're spiteful. I generally use splitting to describe the shift from idealization to devaluation. Okay. Um, very quickly. Um, which is not fun. And definitely not fun for the person which it's happening about, I guess. Um, it technically also works the other way when you split back to idealization. Um, but it's really hard to communicate during a split because you're so upset with the person and you don't want them around. Or you, a lot of people with more outward borderline can be a bit more explosive, can be, be a bit more aggressive. Um, which obviously affects their relationship with that person. People don't like being yelled at or being threatened or being around a very aggressive person, I think, which is fair. I think I've gotten better at realizing, oh, this is a really shitty reason to split on somebody. Maybe try not to, and I can watch it happen almost as I'm like talking to myself or talking myself through it. Mm-hmm. And it will take all my energy for the day sometimes. But I can be like, hey, I need some space right now. And I can internally try and get back to like ground zero of neutrality towards the person, which is ideal-ish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You would um, be living with a person and be idolizing them sometimes and then not? Is that how that has happened? It's ha- oh, yeah. There- um, the, that's <laughs> How why- did that go? <laughs> I t- Can you give me an example? Yes. Um, towards the end of the relationship, I would have times where I'm like, yes, I want to break up with this person and I, f- I have valid reasons. And I-, I would kind of look to outside sources and be like, hey, mom, is this a valid reason to want to end this relationship? Because it's very hard to trust your own perceptions. Um, And I'm like, am I splitting right now? If I break up with him, am I going to split back in two days and have fucked my life up and immediately regret it? And I think I I did break up with him at one point and then split back and start idealizing him. And like we kind of made up and cried and it's very hard to one, not want to make like permanent clean choices because you want, you feel so strongly, whichever way it is, that you want to make these kind of life-disrupting or life-changing decisions. But when you know that you're going to flip-flop, it's like, but how am I going to feel two days from now when I feel completely opposite? Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Yeah, I can imagine But it's better knowing that because I didn't have any clue that that was a mental health thing at the time. Um, Really, I in hindsight, it's very obvious to me, but I just thought I was in a really emotionally turbulent stage. Mm -hmm. So when you say you didn't know if it was a mental like it was mental health thing, are you saying just because you like it's hard to know it when you're in it or because you just didn't know about splitting it? Both, I think. <laughs> yes. Fair. Fair. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So, so looking to the future, like, if you um, start a relationship with someone, mm-hmm. like, what 
what do you feel like you need then? It's a very good question. Um, I think more so now, and this is more of a recent change. I, I split less, but I, the fear of abandonment is still very there. I need kind of reminders that the person likes and cares about me. Um, because I also have a hard time reaching out because I tend to, my, my coping mechanism is to isolate. So I tend to be quite upfront with like, Hey, I really like affection. I really like talking to you. If when you have time, I try to be reasonable, but also I'm like, Hey, is it okay? And I was big on this. It's like, if I send you messages while you're doing something and can't answer, and it was really helpful, like, when my ex, who drove for a living, would drive. I would be, like, I would make a note on my phone of all the things I wanted to message him because I didn't want to buzz his phone while he was driving. And then I would screenshot them, and when it got full, send it. So I could get, like, eight messages of, like, a cute photo I saw on Twitter. And then still get to have that communication and get that out without kind of berating and annoying the other person. Because I think it's very healthy to have separation even in relationships mm -hmm. if you were only with one person 24 hours a day seven days a week you'd go insane <laughs> yeah it's kiddos um yeah. i did it again i like i like to be up front and be like hey not like on the first date i'm like hey did you know that i'm mentally ill but I do like to mention it. I like people to kind of have an idea of what they're getting into, potentially. Mm -hmm. But I think I just like people that are nice. <laughs> what, I, what I need from a person is them to be compassionate and understanding to the best of their ability to a nice human level. Mm -hmm. I don't expect people to be superheroes, but rationally I try and understand that, hey, this is a person with with their own life that has a right to be happy in their relationship or lack thereof. Let's just see what works. And I think I've gotten good at that. At least not great, but good at it. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. How do your parents feel about any Pink? of this? Okay. <laughs> well, it's, they have, okay. My mom knows more than my dad does. Cause he just doesn't want to know, which is fine. Um, I think they're kind of... Hi, Katie's dad. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I think they're just kind of indifferent to the BDSM at this point. Um, initially, my mom was really freaked out. She's like, hey, I need to know where you're going to be and at what time. And, like, what if these people are axe murderers? What do you mean you're going to a dungeon? Like, are you going to get chopped up into little bitty pieces and made into a pie? And it was very <laughs> scary in that way. Did she actually say that? Or are you... I'm pretty sure she said that. Okay. Um... But since she's kind of realized over the past couple years that that's not going to happen, she's like, okay, is this friend you're going for coffee with the one that like gets waterboarded or the one that does all the rope? And I'm like, the one that does all the rope. And that's, that's, it's just a very casual, I don't know, thing about my life that so, I do. So how, why? How did they, how did, why did you tell them? <laughs> okay, because, because I tend to isolate and I, I don't actually think I'm an introvert. I thought I was an introvert for years because of 
my mental illness not letting me leave my bed. Um, not even my bedroom, just my bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never did anything. Or if I did, it was at my house with my one best friend. Mm-hmm. So me being on like a Thursday night saying, hey, I'm going out with friends was really weird to them and okay. really confusing. And they were very suspicious um, because I also had very strict parents who, even though I was 18 or 19, I think I was 19, mm-hmm. they were involved and it wasn't something that wouldn't be unacceptable of them to ask. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an answer. And I'm a really shitty liar. <laughs> so I kind of sat them down and I'm like, hey, do you know what BDSM is? And, and, and their response? I think my dad pretended not to know what it was. <laughs> my parents are both exceptionally vanilla. And I know they don't just say that. I know in my soul that they're very vanilla people. Mm-hmm. Um, and mom was like very, I think, very logistical approach. She was very scared, like I said, of the mm-hmm. meat, Katie Pie. Yeah. But she was like, okay, okay, how can we work this out? Let's talk to your therapist about it. Let's blah, 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 blah. Let's, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this safely. <laughs> and I respected that. And I'm like, okay. Um, she hates Polly. She is very much stuck in the perception that I had when I discovered Polly. But she refuses to change it. Uh-huh. Of These people are all looking for, like, extramarital sex with a lack of, like... <laughs> Virtue, I guess, because I guess that's what it is. Uh-huh. Um, she's far more open to discussions about it now, um, but she still doesn't think it's good. And I don't know that she ever will. Yeah. Um, because she is very heavily monogamous. Yeah. Which is great for her. She does great at monogamy, and she's happy that way, so good for her. Does your dad talk about polyamory or or he is he knows about it because i'll kind of if i'm mentioning like friends from the dungeon that happen to be in a triad i'll mention like so and so's girlfriend and he's 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 like oh this one or this one and i'll be like this one so he has at least an understanding about it so so they're not uh, pardon me but uh (laughs) so they're they're up to date on the the like gossip of (laughs) the dungeon my mom certainly is my dad not so much but yeah my mom is. Okay. <laughs> cool. I don't know. Like, I feel like... But who's she going to tell? Well, no, that's fine. <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not being like, oh, how dare you tell I'm... them the secrets of the dungeon? No, but I'm very close with my mom. And it's very similar to when I talk about my very vanilla best friend's drama with her mom or her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. It's, it's talked about in the kind of very same casual way Mm -hmm. because at this point that's just where we are yeah yeah there's a running joke about the age gap that i had with my ex-partner because he's 17 years older than i am okay and that i still get teased for that i started seeing a new person and they're like oh is he over 30 i'm like no he's under 25 go me (laughs) was there a a personal decision of like i am going to seek out people in my age own age group a little yeah yeah a little bit i was like at least not approaching 40. How did you good. how did you meet someone who was 17 years older than you? Collar space, baby. The cesspool of kink dating. So it is a really shittily run um, fetish dating site. Okay. Like really badly designed, really poorly managed. It's there's so many bots. So we we'd met 
we moved really fast. We went on like three dates, okay. and then we started our relationship. Okay. And like, and by that, like, it's called collar space. Did you did you get a collar? I did. Um, we were actually kind of non traditional in that he collared me when we started our relationship. Um, a lot of people view it like an engagement ring, but I'm like, I don't need a separate thing. If it's like an engagement ring, I'll just take the engagement ring. That's just my... I yeah. I wouldn't want another collar. It's not a branch of kink that I find personally for me. Okay. Um, again, I think partially because now I feel very poly, um, whereas then that was a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that influences it for sure. So, and we were dating and very long distance and I was hardcore idealizing this person. And three months later, we moved together, moved in, we got an apartment. And I was like, yup, this is totally healthy and normal. And it wasn't. (laughs) But I'm really glad I had the experience of living away from home for a year and a half, which was really good for me, I think. Um, I, I don't regret the relationship. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated my parents. My dad especially was like, he made it known he didn't like him and then dropped it. He didn't make a point of it or he wasn't like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he didn't poke or prod at it. He just was like, hey, I don't like him. You know that. Okay, I'll drop it. I'll be polite and civil, whatever. And my mom liked him again as a person, but she's she was like, I knew it wasn't going to last, but I knew if I said that you would dig your heels in, which I would have. So I just let it play it play out, play its course. <laughs> so, yeah. Your mother is a chess master. Oh God, yes. Oh my. But I also met the guy I'm seeing now on a vanilla dating website, and it's worked out perfectly. I've brought him to the dungeon like four times. Mm-hmm. So, you look in weird places. Looking to the future, like what are your what are your hopes? I guess, and um, I mean, I assume that like you're you're hoping to create some sort of uh, stability. Like, so how how do you see that coming about? I it's a very good question. But like, I, I don't I don't want to be like. So how is it going to work out with this guy? <laughs> That's not what I mean. See, no, but I've actually been very proud of myself that I've not been like four years in the future planning things. Okay. Um, I've just been very much being like, I enjoy your company, and that's what we're going to leave it at for right now, mm-hmm. regardless of long-term logistics. Um, I don't know. I, just keep doing the thing that you're doing. And we'll be good. Yeah. If we decide to change it later, then what the hell? <laughs> and it's been a really interesting kind of almost, I don't want to say thought experiment, because that sounds really uh, depersonalizing <laughs> to him. <laughs> But it's been. You will probably listen to this. That's beside the point. But it was no, it was really interesting because we're not in a relationship. For me, initially, that really freaked me out because I'm like, I need commitment. There from were air you. quotations there. Yes, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. But it was very big because I'm like, oh, you don't want to commit to me as a person. What if you leave? The fear of abandonment kind of kicked in. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I've kind of been doing the thought experiment where it's like, okay. But he shouldn't stay because of an arbitrary commitment. He should stay because he likes your like company and likes seeing with you. you. And that is kind of irrelevant. It, you shouldn't be hoping to like trap him, like throw a blanket over him and like fucking, you know, Nani and Lilo and Stitch when she puts Lilo in the blanket and scoops her over her shoulder. That's not the goal. It's a great reference. You want it to be consensual. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of fun. 
but yeah, sorry, future goals. Um, I'm looking at jobs. I'm trying to become more independent as a person. Um, now that my mental health is improving, I think I could kind of manage potentially a part-time gig. Um, also in the process of waiting to hear back from ODSP about disability stuff to kind of supplement mm-hmm. the lack of income. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm just, for once, kind of just like, oh, I guess this is what life is right now. I don't know how to make it concrete. And I, it's one of those kind of, I think it's kind of become a cliche anyway. But, like, my 22nd birthday just kind of came in June. And I just was like, I never planned to be in my 20s. I I genuinely didn't expect to have to live through these. Because I thought I would have killed myself by now. So, dealing with the realities of life as a 20-something is very unplanned, uncharted territory. I didn't have a plan, so I didn't think I'd need one. Okay. The unceasing progression of linear time is a cruel bitch. Um, <laughs> but you got to deal. Like, life goes on. <laughs> it's just, sorry. It's just that this has progressed from, oh, yeah, things are looking pretty good, to the unceasing progression, progression is a cruel bitch. <laughs> Well, uh, no, but there are some times you just kind of want to hit pause and, like, process and, like, have a day where it's, like, not nothing is continuing on. But it's like you're in a, a video game and you can't hit pause to process what just happened and make a plan. You're just stuck on, like, two times speed forever. And, but I am dealing. And I'm, I'm assuming, like, knock on wood, I'm going to make it to my 30s. So I, in my mind, that's a marked improvement. That's a win. Yeah. Right? Because when you're in your teens, you're like, I'm not going to be in my 20s. And you just said, I'm assuming I'm going to be in my 30s. Like, knock so, on wood, like, barring an act yeah, of God. That's, all right. So so we have a, a positive note. I am planning to be in my 30s. With any luck. With any luck. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on uh, this polyamorous life. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you came. Hope you had a good time. Last thing. What is the non-monogamy or polyamory-related song that you have chosen for this episode of uh, This Polyamorous Life? Um, Someone New by Hosier, which is really cute. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, Tell me a bit about that song. I haven't too thoroughly examined the lyrics, but it's like I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Uh-huh. And it's hosier. And and yeah, and so it's about like like there's the new relationship energy thing and very much, but I think it's the the propensity, is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know. To go into the world without bias of what or limitation to what your relationships could be with people. Cuz I feel like if you're monogamous and you're in a relationship, that you automatically have a limitation when you meet someone regardless if you're attracted to them or not. Mm-hmm. of the type of relationship you can have with that person. Right. right. But that's kind of going into the world with almost that, like, wonder and, like, childlike eagerness of, like, oh, look at all these people that I can have in my life and, like, let their relationship with me grow to the fullest potential that that person can be with me, whether that's friendship or, like, whatever. It's that eagerness. 
It's a great song, isn't it? Yeah, it's really yeah. catchy. <laughs> it is. It's very catchy. All right, cool. Thank you so much once again. You're welcome. I hope you had a good time. I did. Uh, listeners, I hope you had a good time. And they did. <laughs> they did. They did. All right. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week on this Polyamorous Life. to This Polyamorous Life, sponsored by Windsor Polyamory. Please like, rate, and review the show at the usual places. To help out the show financially, go to patreon.com slash thispolyamorouslife. This show was put together by me, Reg Robson, with some editing help from Aaron Christmas. A big thanks goes out to Katie for coming on the show this week. I'll be back with another conversation for you in seven days. preparing for the Windsor Pride Fest Parade. I'm here at the corner of Ottawa and Argyle in Windsor, Ontario. And we are with Windsor Polyamory. And we're gonna have an awful lot of fun in this parade. What do you find valuable about Windsor Polyamory? It's a relaxed group of people who are enjoying each other's company and happen to have something in common. The thing that I love about Windsor Polyamory from the start, the first event that I came to, people are warm, welcoming, open, and accepting, and fun. Um, I think the entire Windsor Polyamory community is very dedicated to an authentic expression of self and to growing and learning more about each other in the world, and I think that's really valuable. Find Windsor Polyamory at windsorpolyamory.wordpress.com.